Excellent. I'm recording on the iPhone this morning, so there we go. Uh, our recording is down, apparently. So um, None of us have done any hard time. Or most of us have not done hard time in this room. We're guilty, though, of every kind of evil desire. We're guilty of murderous intents when we've had hatred towards our brother or sister. We're, we're guilty of stealing the glory of the head of all. We're, we're, we're guilty of stealing from him directly the honor that is due to him. We've hated. We've been angry. We've been mean. We've been unkind. We've broken God's law in our hearts in every way, even if we've not outwardly done it. The seeds of all the sin is in our own hearts. We've sought honor that was not due to us. We've failed to love God in the ways he's commanded. We've disobeyed not only the commandments he's given, but we've disobeyed the moral laws. We've not loved him like we should. We've not loved our neighbors like we're called to do. And yet God, he's the divine judge. He has sent his son. And his son has came and taken our place and did a hard time on the earth, if you will, in our place. But not only that, he suffered to the utmost and he died in our place. He did all of that so that God could call us to freedom. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ... You've heard a specific call from God to freedom. God's called you to freedom. He's called you to that. come out from living like you used to. He's called you to not live like that any longer. Don't live like you were in the past. Because why? Because you've been set free. You don't need to try to put others down to put yourself up. You don't need to look out for number one because he's looking after every one of your needs. Even when you may not be aware of that. God's called us to freedom. He's made us members of his own family. Not only did the judge absolve you because he put all the punishment on Christ. He comes to you and he says, come into my house. Be a member of my family. I'm going to take care of everything you need. I'm going to make it as if you were my son from the beginning. I'm going to treat you that way. So the Apostle Paul, he is... So aware of that. That's why at one point in Paul's letters in Corinthians, he says, I, I vow to know nothing, nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What did he mean? Did he mean there's nothing else in Christianity? No. What do you mean? That's the most key, central, crucial thing in all of, all of Christianity is that He came to set us free. To take our place. To set us free from bondage. Free from enslavement to ourselves. Free from enslavement to sin. Free from being enslaved to the devil as well. So the Apostle Paul has this in mind as he's writing the letter to the Galatians. And he's reminding them that they've been set free. They don't have to earn God's favor. They don't have to try to perform. They don't have to try to live the ways that the law commands to earn God's favor. Because his son has already done that. So he's telling them, turn away from legalism. Don't, don't turn back to try to trust yourself. It didn't work the first time. You had back-to-back life sentences. You were dead in your sins. Don't turn back to trying to make it on your own. It didn't work. It won't work. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. And so throughout the letter to the Galatians, Paul is saying, why are you so foolish to turn back to your own, your own self, your own ways? Don't you know that you've been set free in Christ by his grace, not by any merits that you can't even boast? 
So it may seem strange as you're coming to this point in Galatians, in Galatians 5, 13, when it says, you've been set free. That's, that's good. That's consistent with the whole theme of the letter of Galatians. But then he says, only don't use your freedom to gratify the desires of the flesh. As an opportunity for the flesh. And he's saying, wait a minute. And he starts giving some commandments here. What's going on? Well, I think that Paul's wanting them to see is that they've been freed. And they've been freed to not be who they used to be. They've been freed to not live like they used to live any longer. They can now live not as they want. That's actually not true freedom. And so Paul is trying to help them understand, here's what true freedom looks like. True freedom is not living for yourself. That's actually bondage. That's enslavement. You used to think, if I could only get out, I would do all the things I want. If I could only get out of jail, if I could only get out of prison, I'd live for myself and I'll be free. So Paul's saying, no, don't live like that. That's, that's not freedom. Living for yourself, for your own desires, that's what enslaved you to begin with. Living for your own earthly, fleshly, worldly desires. That's what puts you in bondage. You thought you would be free if you could only live for your own flesh. He says, no, 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 you've been called to freedom, so don't use your freedoms to live for the flesh. Because what that does is that really that enslaves you once more. So he says, leave legalism. You've been, you've been made free in Christ. But he's a wise pastor and he knows that we're going to be tempted to indulge the desires of our flesh, he reminds them of the freedom and he gives it the context. He says, here's what freedom looks like. Freedom looks like loving God. Now you're free to love God where once you could not love God. Now you're free to serve people where once you were selfish and stuck in your own sins. Now you've been free. This is what freedom looks like. And so really the main idea of these verses is that believers in Christ, they are free from the law. We should all be rejoicing. We're free from the law. That's amazing. We're free from the law. We don't have to earn or keep God's favor. We're free from the law. But freedom, how is that freedom? Freedom is truly expressed through love, serving others. How in the world does that make sense? Well, here's how it makes sense. is that as we begin to love and serve others, God sets us free from our petty, selfish focus. God sets us free from our our desires to acquire that actually end up controlling us in the end. As we serve and love others, God sets us free from being self-focused so that we can be others-focused and see Him working in and through us and really see His power and freedom. And and this kind of, of love, it's possible because we've been set free by His love. It protects us both from legalism. So we've been set free... Reminder, don't live as a legalist. But also, it helps guard us from living for ourselves. It's the kind of freedom that causes us to love and serve others. And, and Paul says in verse 1, For you were called to freedom, brothers. And really, it's the first point we're going to look at is that we're free from the law in Christ. In Christ, we are free from the law. The church in Galatia, they were being disturbed. They had understood the gospel. They heard the gospel. But they're being disturbed by people who came in from the outside. Maybe you've had this happen to you as well. You became a Christian and somebody calls to you and says, Hey, by the way, you have to do this. You have to live like this. You have to wear these clothes. You have to talk this way. You use these words. Have you ever experienced that? Hey, by the way, you don't really fit in with those people who call themselves Christians. You have to look this way. You have to be a robot. You have to be a clone. 
The Judaizers were coming into the church in Galatia and saying, you have to practice the sacrificial system. You have to practice the, the, the Old Testament laws and standards. You have to wash your pots this way. You have to eat meat this way and not eat this kind of meat. And you have to be circumcised. And so Paul is saying, no, God has called you to not be worried about whether or not you're keeping the old covenant laws. And as a believer, here's something crazy. God doesn't want you to be worried about whether or not you've obeyed him in every way. That, that, sounds, that sounds licentious. Wait a minute. Don't we have to, don't we have to worry about what? No. God doesn't call us to worry about whether you've obeyed him. What he says is, I want you to love me and love others. I want you to do that. And as you do that, you don't have to worry about whether you keep the law. Because if you love me, you're going to fulfill the law. He wants you to know you've been free because there's not this penalty hanging over you anymore. And if you really grasp that freedom, you're going to think, start thinking, wait a minute, does that, do, that mean I can live as I please? And Paul's going to address that in a minute. He's saying to the Galatians, you've already been called by God's grace. Nothing you can do can add to, and nothing you do or don't do can take away from the freedom that you have in Christ. If you're a Christian this morning, this truth should make you want to like run laps around here. Go out and just start cheering. You know, you see that old 80s movie, and I'm dating myself, Rocky, and he's going up the steps, you know, he's gonna, he starts cheering at the top, and he throws his hands up. It must have been pretty weird, because there's no music playing when he was running up the steps. But in the theaters, you're like, yeah, and he's running. This is a freedom that's meant to have an effect. We've been set free by God's grace. We're no longer burdened with having to obey God to get his pleasure. So we don't have to worry about, is God pleased with me? Now we can know that God is pleased with us because of his son. That's freedom. So God's not just as divinely disappointed with me all the time. No, we're free. We're called to joyful freedom. We're not enslaved to the law or the penalty of the law. We're not enslaved to our own fleshly desires anymore. We're called to freedom from having to measure up. I know as a kid, sometimes I would feel like I'd just never be good enough, you know? God doesn't want us to, to live that way. He wants us to be free from having to measure up. We're called to be free from the punishment that our sins deserve. But this is not a fleshly, worldly kind of freedom that says, go and do as you will. Because in fact, that's not free. That's slavery. And so he says, only, look down your Bibles, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. You see, the desires of the flesh, the, the old sin nature, they still remains. And we're tempted to think that we're free to sin, but that's not freedom at all. I love the way that R.C. Sproul puts it. He says, to give in to corrupt desires is not liberation. For we can be overpowered by transgression. Listening to that, for we can be overpowered by transgression when we make no attempt to stand against it. You ever find that? You give in to a desire. I'll just do this a little bit. I'll just do this, this thing a little bit. I'll just, I'll just think that way. I'll just look at this thing I shouldn't look at right now. I'll just do that a little bit. But the reality is, when we, when we start to give in, when we don't take a stand against our fleshly desires, that we can be overpowered by transgression. You know, we can be tempted to think that because there is grace, because God's forgiven us, we can just live as we want. But that's not the gospel message. 
Sproul goes on to say, says, throughout history, believers have often not emphasized the freedom we have in Christ. So we need to make sure we emphasize the freedom that we have in Christ. Galatians 5.1, it says, it's for freedom that you've been set free. Sproul goes on to say, instead, many have defined the Christian life according to a list of do's and don'ts. Have you ever been there? Do you know people like that? Maybe, maybe you're living like that. Defining your life by a list of do's and don'ts. Largely in an effort to prevent people from perverting God's grace into a license for sin. Legalism, however, does not solve this problem. And there will likely always be people until Jesus returns who mistakenly think that because they're in Christ, they can sin with impunity for even the apostles had to deal with such individuals. Listen to what he's saying. Only a right understanding of Christian freedom prevents licentiousness. So it's not the law, it's not the do's and the don'ts that prevent us from going our own way. It's a right understanding of Christian freedom. He says, true freedom is not the freedom to do anything. True freedom is not the freedom to do anything. We don't like hearing that as Americans, as Westerners, that we think that freedom means absolute liberation from all restraints. He says, true freedom is not the freedom to do anything. And paradoxically... Real liberty only comes through slavery to God in Christ. Those who indulge the flesh, which is the presence of sin that remains with us until death, are not free. Rather, they are given over to serve the flesh, which is a cruel master. It's like going back to jail again and living the same way you used to. It puts you in bondage. We've not been called to indulge the desires of the flesh. If we give ourselves over to sin, what we're doing is we're enslaving ourselves to that which we give ourselves to. He says, don't be given to that. Be given to loving God. Be given to serving others. There's true freedom in him. We're free in regards to loving God. But here's what he says to do. We're called to use our freedom to serve others. And really the second point I want to draw your attention to this morning is that true freedom is expressed by lovingly serving others. True freedom, not the freedom that we think is it's free to just do as we will, but true freedom is expressed by lovingly serving other people. And actually the word that he uses there for serving, the word that he's saying in this passage, um, it's actually the same word that at different times is translated as slave or as bondservant. And so he's saying basically live as a bondservant, live as a slave to one another. And it doesn't mean that we're to, to subvert ourselves and somehow um, take punishment from other people and the like. But what it does mean is having that attitude that says we are not here to serve our own desires. We're here to serve the people that God's called us to be a part of. We're here to serve our family. It's a radical idea, isn't it? It's a radical idea that, that freedom is expressed in lovingly serving other people. So if I'm really living free, I'm going to be living in a way that's constantly serving other people, that's loving God that way. Well, just like God freed his people from Egypt. See, God's people were in Egypt for over 400 years and then he set them free. And what did he set them free to do? He set them free to come and serve him. He set them free to worship him. See, God's always set his people free so that they could be free in him truly and true freedom looks like worshiping God, worshiping God through serving other people. 
We've been given liberty. We've been given redemption. And that redemption frees us up to go and serve. But we're tempted to use our freedom to gratify our own desires, aren't we? I know that, that I am. Using your, your freedom for an opportunity for the flesh, though, it doesn't just harm you. It's, it's unloving to other people as well. You might think that if I just live as I want on my own, that it's just all about me. Well, in the reality, no, your sin affects everybody. It affects the family. True freedom in Christ, he's saying, is not self-indulgent. It's not self-focused. It's going to seek to be free to love others, to serve others, to live for the good of other people. So often, if you think about it, we've been going through a series in care groups, our small groups that we meet weekly on, on Wednesday nights for those who are visiting. Well, we meet in small groups throughout the week. We've been going through over the last several weeks a series called Resolving Everyday Conflict. And on Sunday mornings for the past four or five weeks, we've been going through a series on what does it look like to live as disciples in peace? What does it look like to live as disciples in peace? And so it's been going through that. It's, it's been evident that in my heart, as I, I've... I've and thinking about this and seeing this passage that, you know what, those times when I experience conflict, it's really coming out of something. It's, it's not because of what somebody else is doing to me. It's becoming, it comes out of my desires. Something that's at war within me. James tells us, why are there quarrels and fights among you? It's, is it because you want something you don't get it? We're, we're, we're self-indulgent by nature. Our sin nature is self-indulgent. And the love of ourselves, it gives birth to not good things, it gives birth to greed. It gives birth to impatience, neglect, contempt of others. you ever find yourself there? It breeds cruelty and deceit and violence. Loving ourselves and failing to love others, it's what causes impatience. And it causes that old jail mentality of wanting to better ourselves at the expense of somebody else. You ever find jealousy welling up in your heart when somebody else is talking about what God's doing in their lives or what they've accomplished or maybe how God's blessed them in a certain way and you find jealousy rising up? What is that? That's that old sin nature, that self-focused, selfish, fleshly nature. All kinds of conflicts and arguments and offenses and they hurt. They come about because at our core we're being selfish. We're not loving God. We're loving ourselves. We're not loving others. We're Loving our own desires. But that's not liberty, is it? Because have you ever found you living that way? You're so aware of everybody else. And you're angry inside and you're bitter. It locks you up. That's not freedom. The Paul said, that's, that's not what freedom looks like. Freedom, you think that getting what you want is going to make you free. He says, no, this is going to put you in slavery. What if you were looking to serve one another? What if your motive wasn't self-seeking in your speech? What would that look like? If you desired to serve the person who was weaker than you. Yeah, last, last week we heard from, or two weeks ago, I'm sorry, we heard from Andy Nacelli. He was talking about Romans 14 and 15 and, and how those with weaker consciences or those with consciences that that aren't able to do some things that Christ has actually enabled us to be free in. People who um, aren't free to have alcohol, or aren't free to dress in a certain way, or aren't free to do this. And he's saying that's a, it's a weaker conscience. And then he's saying people have stronger consciences, and um, they're, they're free in him. But there's temptations on both fronts, he says. There's, there's temptations to condemn people who are weaker. And he says, don't do that. Welcome them with the spirit of gentleness. 
And there's a temptation to look at the people who are strong and say, and consciously say, you're being licentious. And he says, don't do that. Welcome them. What would it look like, though, if you were loving other people in the church and you said, you know what? I want to hang out with my brother who's stricter than me, who's got a weak conscience, because I want to welcome them. I want to love them. I want to serve them. What would it look like if you have a weaker conscience and, and you don't like it when somebody has alcohol? You say, I want, to, I want to welcome those kinds of people specifically because I need them. And I want to love them and learn from them. Let me ask you another question. Is there anybody in the church that you need to use the freedom that you have to serve? The freedom that you have to love them and serve them. Is there anybody here who you've had conflict with? Maybe there's somebody here who you've not had open, blatant conflict with, but just just loves you the wrong way. You ever had those people? Everybody should be raising their hands. (laughs) Be dishonest. We all have those people who just kind of, they annoy me. Now, what's that revealing? That's revealing something in us, not as much as something in them. You see, God's put those people in our lives for us to be free from selfishness, self-indulgence. And he's calling us to love those people who rub us the wrong way. To help us be free from our own fleshly desires. What would it look like to love those people who you think are weird or strange or annoying? How's God calling you to serve? How's God calling you to love them like you love yourself? Look in verse 14. It says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. It says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We can't ever do the law. We can't ever earn our own justification. But here's the thing he's saying is you can't do the law. But as a result of the fact that you have been justified under the law by God. Now, as you love other people, you're going to fulfill the law. There's a difference there. It's not an effort to keep the law from merit. It's saying because you've been freed and because God already counted as if you fulfilled the whole law. Now I'm going to enable you to do what you could never do on your own. I'm going to enable you to fulfill the law as you love me and love other people. It's not a command to love ourselves. You can read that scripture wrongly. You can say, well, you should love your neighbors yourself. So that means I'm going to love myself first, and then after you love myself, I'm going to love my neighbor. No. The presumption here is that you already love yourself enough. Now love your neighbor like you love yourself already. You know, I was even thinking about it uh, some of us have struggled at different times in our lives, and maybe you're struggling currently with fear of man or man-pleasing, want to live up to the expectations of others so that you can get their approval, wanting people to like you because of your merit or how you live. And even that, where you feel like it's, I'm afraid of what people will think about me, I'm afraid of whether people will think that uh, I'm dumb, or I'm afraid people won't think I'm smart, or I'm afraid people will see that I'm really sinful, and I'm afraid people will think I'm weak and I mess up, and so you live trying to always... Meet up with the expectations of somebody else and create this false front of who you are. You ever, you ever have that temptation? The funny thing is, that's actually self-love. That's actually thinking too highly of ourselves. And God says, I want to set you free from that. I want to set you free from the fear of man. I want to set you free from worrying about what people think about you. Why? Because I've already, I've accepted you and nothing worse could ever be said about you than what Jesus said on the cross when he had to die for you. But nothing better can be said than God has said about you when he says... You're my child. You're set free. You're no longer who you used to be. It doesn't matter what you were in the past. He says, I want to set you free 
And how I want to do it is like you loving your neighbor like you love yourself. So you can get your focus off yourself. When you boil it down, my preoccupation with myself. Where do I find this applying to my own life? I find that my preoccupation with my desires, my needs, my wants, my timetable, my, my, my. I just walk around with a shirt, my, all the time. Me, on the back. Mine on my shorts, I don't know. Um, we have this, this self-awareness. This awareness of our own desires. And, and isn't that what causes conflicts? Isn't that what causes problems? You know, when I don't love my spouse as myself. That's the biggest reason for my conflict with Julie. It's not Julie. It's that I'm not loving her like I love myself. I'm loving myself. And I'm wanting her to love me too. Like I love me. But if we're striving to obey Jesus' command to love your neighbors yourself, how we react when people don't give us what we want, when people sin against us, it's going to be changed, isn't it? Imagine if, if when somebody sins against you, you think, you know what, I'm going to love them like I love me. I'm going to forgive them like I want to be forgiven. I'm going to be patient with them like I want people to be patient with me when I'm a, a jerk. I want people to listen to understand me because... Um, I, want, I mean, I want, I want to listen to understand people because I want to be listened to be understood. When somebody else is selfish or inconsiderate or unkind or maybe downright mean, I want to forgive them like I would want forgiveness when I'm selfish and unkind and downright mean. And just being grumpy and having this rotten day. You just wake up and you're just grumpy for no reason. Maybe it's just me. Sometimes I just wake up I'm just in a bad mood. And so I want everybody to be patient with me. Do we live that way with other people who are that way? Do we, do we live patiently because I, would, I want to be loved like this and I, I know that I need to love that way? Let me ask you, the last time you had a conflict, I'm not trying to create bad feelings right now, but think about the last time you had a conflict. Maybe it was this morning on the way to church. If you're married, probably was. If you have kids, maybe it wasn't with your spouse. It was probably with one of your kids. Could you come on? Oh my gosh. Or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, think about the last time you had a conflict, whether you think you were right or not. And here's the truth most of us think we're right when we have conflict. That's why we have conflict. <laughs> it's because we think we're right, the other person thinks we're right. That does not meet up. Somebody's probably wrong. We're probably both wrong. Even if you're right, though, was your response right? Were you loving them like you love yourself? Do you give others the benefit of the doubt like you want others to to give to you? Do you not assume their motives? Because you don't want other people to assume your motives, do you? I know that I hate it. Hey, you don't know what I'm feeling. You don't know what I'm thinking. You don't know my heart. Yeah, well, we don't know other people's hearts either. We need to love like we want to be loved. Do Do you listen to others like you want other people to listen to you? I had somebody help me this the other night. We were getting together with them for fellowship as couples, and I was, I was asking them for some thoughts on something, and and they they basically said, you know, one point, I don't feel like you're hearing me. And I said, well, what, what was it? What was I doing to give you that impression? And it was it was clear that okay, I, I was interrupting them and, and not waiting for them to finish talking before I disagreed. And I was like, okay, that's not how I wanted to love them. Now I really was trying to hear in my heart, but it wasn't coming out. I wasn't being thoughtful about how do I practically seek to love somebody else and to serve them. What does that look like? This can take all manner of applications, but I'm, 
I'm trying to hone the application of where we're at as a church right now. We're walking through resolving everyday conflict. What does it look like to live as peacemakers? Disciples who live as peacemakers. Loving somebody else looks like listening to hear other people's concerns. Youth, don't think this doesn't apply to you. What does it look like to love somebody who you think is uncool or somebody who they think they're too cool for you? Or maybe somebody who you think is weird or awkward. But really, those categories aren't just for youth, though, are they? Right? Because we, we all have that in the church. I mean, you grow up and you kind of always are stuck in high school somehow. <laughs> you feel like, okay, wait a minute. I, I can't live like that. I need to live loving others. I want to be set free from that. But what does it look like to, to love somebody else who you think is just weird or awkward or abnormal? You don't get along with or Maybe they have different interests than you. They have different preferences. Over the last three weeks, we've been hearing about different preferences that people are going to have, all types of things. What does it look like to love and serve people who have different preferences, different likes, different desires, different convictions on things? Maybe you're an artist or a musician. What does it look like to love an engineer or a lawyer? That could be frightening. If you're a lawyer or an engineer, it would probably scare you to death. To think about getting to know a, a musician or an artist in a way that you can understand their art. What about trying to think, okay, I, I want to try to love them and understand what in the world do they see with these paint splashes on the wall? Um, might give a little insight into I'm not by, an artist by nature. I love art, but not some of it. Um, what does it look like to love others, though, to take an interest in other people? You see, a lot of the conflict that we have in church is due to... Not even just saying bad things, but it's, it's due to not approaching people out of love. It's due to not trying to, to love other people. How, how many arguments, how many conflicts, how many times will we have division and separation? How many times would that be solved if we're saying, you know what, I'm going to approach them to try to love them and serve them? We can be selfish. We can ignore each other. We cannot take an interest in somebody different than us. Maybe they come from a different background, different socioeconomic status. Maybe they have a different color skin than you. What does it look like to love somebody that you're just uncomfortable around? Here's the thing, though. They're probably uncomfortable around you, so hey, you're all good. <laughs> um, most of us are uncomfortable around people at some point in time. And so we realize, you know what, I'm not going to worry about that. Hey, I'm just going to we all have these same issues, we all have these same struggles. I'm just going to love them and serve them. You can talk about it openly. Don't be afraid to talk about issues where you have differences. Say, hey, look, you know, I don't understand you at all. I don't understand why you like discordant music that doesn't have any kind of tempo to it. But, hey, I want to learn to love you. You can just be open about that. Or like, you know, somebody who loves calculus. I don't understand why you do that as a hobby. <laughs> but, hey, I think you're weird, but let me, let me learn a little bit more about you. Um, when somebody has a different background than you, approaches the situation differently. Hey, can let me learn a little bit more about that. I want to love you. I want to be free from my selfishness. I need help. It requires putting the interests of others first. Now, this means it's not going to always be convenient. It's not going to be easy. It's going to look like going out of our way to love somebody else. But he's given us a new heart. It's for freedom, brothers. What does that mean? He sets you free. You don't have to be enslaved to petty, selfish desires. Even in areas you struggle, here's the good news. You've been set free. Now, you can live for him in light of that.
We have freedom in Christ, but not, not freedom to quarrel, not freedom to have dissension, not freedom to have disagreements and arguments, not freedom to just throw up our opinion on other people without thinking about how it's going to affect them. Thinking, I just need to, I just need to get it all out. Well, sure, you just served yourself, but you might not have served the other person. I just need to tell them what I feel, and there's nothing wrong with just being honest and telling the truth. Oh, yeah, there is. When it affects somebody else, and it's unloving, unkind, and unserving. Now, you need to tell the truth, but it says do it gently in love. We have freedom in Christ, but what does this freedom look like? Well, here's what he says it doesn't look like. The third point I want to show you this morning is that true love doesn't bite. True love doesn't bite. Paul says, but if you bite, look in verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. He's using some graphic language. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. The church in Galatia, they were most likely having some disputes against amongst his members. They probably had strongly different views. You ever been in a church like that? I've been in a place like that. People have strong views and they're very different. And they probably had different views about how to live in a manner that was pleasing to God. You have different views than the person beside you about what it looked like to live in a manner pleasing to God. Here's the thing, though. They, they're probably engaged in slandering. And saying, well, those people's views are wrong or stupid. Or those people are stupid because they have those views. I don't know if you're familiar with that today, too. In church, all too common do you have attitudes like those people who dress this way or dress that way. They're those suit and dresses, cow. They're legalistic. Or people who wear shorts and blue jeans, they're licentious. Those people who smoke cigars, well, when they get together, they're sinners. Those people who think that drinking is wrong, they're uptight. See, Scripture doesn't allow us to look down on each other, even in areas where we have legitimate convictions. We're, to, we're not to bite each other or devour each other. Andy helps to see from Scripture, those with strong consciences, they have a tendency to look down on or condemn people who are stricter than them. I mean, those people with weak consciences have a tendency to judge and, and think that people who are Free in Christ are legal are, are, are licentious. Last week Aaron served as well from Ephesians when he was talking about corrupting communication. What does this look like and what it would look like instead to edify each other with these words? And so this morning I'm putting those things together as we're thinking about what does loving each other look like practically in relationships? What does our freedom in Christ set us free to do is to serve each other? How do we serve each other? Some of the primary ways we serve each other is through our speech. Primary ways we serve each other is by, by looking out for the interests of others and not biting. When, when most of all of my kids, I've got five kids so far, I've got a sixth one on the way, so I've got a little bit of experience with little kids so far. All of our kids, at some point in time, they've gone through this phase, right? And maybe your kids did too, or maybe that was you. You were the biter. Um, all of our kids, at some point, they had an issue with biting. You know, they, they felt like they had to defend themselves. They didn't have any means to do that, so they bite. And um, Gideon, he's just getting out of that phase, thanks be to God. He, um, early on, though, when he first started learning to crawl stuff and people would take things from him, he would bite up. 
And, and I understand that. It's not good. It's not okay. But I understand the reasoning why in his little brain is he has no way to defend himself. And that's his best defense because his teeth are probably stronger than anything else. And so and he knows it hurts. And so he's going to like, ah, I want to burn him. And so, you know, we had one Sunday here where I think he bit six kids on one morning. It was a record. Um, he hasn't done that in a while. So uh, we've taken care of that. Now, he, he knows that biting has consequences. Uh, we've been reinforcing regularly that biting has consequences. You can't eat other children, okay? It's bad to do that. So he's, he's learned. He goes, ah, okay, better not do that because I know something's coming. My mom, there's dad, you know. Now he's also realized, well, mom and dad aren't in the room. He can't do that either because it's still going to come. Um, there's going to be a consequence. We expect little kids to bite when they don't know what to do. They're trying to defend themselves with somebody bigger than them to stop people. It's understandable. It's not okay. But imagine if adults regularly bit each other. <laughs> be a little strange, don't you think? Honey, um, when you left the cap off the toothpaste, <laughs> it's just bitter. That would, be, that would be weird and wrong. Probably. Um, you know, if, if your husband's inconsiderate and he forgets your anniversary, he comes home, you give him a hug, and then you take his hand and you bite it. Um, it. That would be bizarre behavior. Imagine if you're in men's group and you have a guy hanging out with the other guys and he's getting angry, he's feeling like his feelings are getting hurt, and so he just goes around biting everybody. He's a serial biter in men's group. And so... This guy, he's a little awkward being around. Whenever we get to a sensitive topic, he bites us. It's strange. I think we're just going to keep it surface and shallow here. Because I don't want to get bitten. I got scars from the last one, you know. Lost my pinky. Um, it would be bizarre. If we felt threatened, we didn't get our own way, and we went around biting, it would be wrong. We'd probably have us advocating for anti-biting laws. It would be strange. What he's saying is, you do that. You, you do that with your words. You bite other people. You bite other people, maybe not with your teeth, but you bite other people with your words, with the speech that comes out of your mouth. You bite, you devour. He's saying, watch out, because you're going to be consumed by that. Do you think that you can bite somebody else and, and devour them and it not affect you? Remember visiting Israel back in '94, and I wasn't used to seeing wild cats roaming around in big cities all over the place. And I've been to other big cities in the U.S., and they seem to have the same issue: some cats, but not all over the place. So we're at this outdoor restaurant, I remember, and I was was having some some chicken, and, and there was these cats just like waiting right there to pounce on anything that would drop. So I dropped a little something to see how they react, and boom, they devoured it. They pounced on it, and that's that's kind of the, the the language he's using here is a devouring language, that biting language. There used to be wild scavenger dogs that used to live throughout the Middle East, and, and they, would, they would go out to where they would dump the trash, and the scavenging dogs would eat the trash and take care of some of the, the refuse. And so it's kind of that connotation, that picture is of this savage devouring, this biting, this devouring. And he's meant to bring to mind that, that metaphor, really. It's a word that was often used of a snake, a viper, biting. You see, our speech can be consuming. How do we bite? How do we devour? 
We bite and devour through our speech, through our lack of love. Paul says, don't relate this way. Don't be biting in how you relate to each other. And why is he doing that? Because it would be really strange if we physically bit. And so he's saying, you do this. Don't do that. Don't relate to each other that way. Watch out, though, so you don't consume each other. It's a really graphic. It's a brutal image, isn't it? It's a very animalistic thing. I was around biting everybody. But yet we do that in our hearts. We don't love like we want to be loved. We bite, we devour. But here's what it reveals. We forget we're members of the same body. Imagine if you bit your finger off because it offended you. <laughs> or if you accidentally hit your nail, when you're, hit your thumb when you're hammering, and you bit your hand off because it, it made a mistake. <laughs> yeah, that, you're going to eat yourself. That's not good. Don't devour yourself. Don't you realize you're going to consume yourself? What Paul is saying is you're members of the same body. Watch out when you bite and devour. You're not just biting and devour strangers in the church. You're biting and devouring your own body. It doesn't make any sense. Don't bite and devour. Watch out. You're going to consume one another. And if you bit each member of your body when it didn't do what you wanted it to, or it made a mistake or inconvenienced you, that would be a little twisted. It would probably lock you up. Puts you in a funny jacket that buckles in the back for good reason until you could maybe see that biting yourself is not good. But we forget we're members of the same body of Christ. John Calvin, I, I like in his commentary in these verses, he says, Would that we always remembered when the devil tempts us to disputes, that the disagreements of members of the, within the church can lead to nothing but the ruin and consumption of the whole body. Let me read that again. Would that we always remember when the devil tempts us to disputes that the disagreements of the members within the church can lead to nothing but the ruin and consumption of the whole body of which you are a part. How unhappy, how mad it is that we who are members of the same body should voluntarily conspire Together for mutual destruction. I want this to change how we think about conflict in the church. How we think about conflict with our spouse, with our kids, with our parents, with our siblings, with our friends who are Christians. I want us to think about this. What is this doing? What is this saying? It's unhappy. It's mad. Why should we voluntarily conspire together for mutual destruction? Here's what it reveals. We forget that we need each other. We forget that we're members of the same body. We can forget that it's precisely the differences and uniqueness of the function of different people in the body that we need the most. You need somebody who doesn't look like you in this room. You need somebody who doesn't do things like you. You need differences. You need the uniqueness of the body. Don't bite and devour. It's going to consume you. We need to see through those who are eyes. We need to hear through those who are ears in the body. We need to feel through those who are hands in the body. We need to go through those who are the feet in the body. Paul's warning is saying, be careful. You're not consumed by one another. If you're biting and devouring, God's called us out of darkness. He's called us to be his people, to be in his family. He's called us out of prison. He set us free so we don't have to live like that anymore. We don't have to put ourselves up and put others down. He's called us to come into his household. He's promised to give us all that we need. He's promised to never leave us, never forsake us, always be with us. He's, he's put us in a body when you were once alone. 
you may feel alone this morning, but here's the great truth. The scripture is that if you're a Christian, you are not alone. Never alone. He's given you a family. Now we need to act like it. Some of us have weird members of the family. <laughs> he's, he's given you a family and he's made you part of the body. So he's calling us to freedom in light of who we've been called to. Not freedom to indulge yourselves, become slaves to sin. But he's saying you've been called to freedom so that you can in love serve one another. But make sure, here's what it should look like. Don't be biting. That's not loving. Serving one another through acts of love, it's an antidote actually to being enslaved. Okay, why is he talking about using freedom? To serve others. Because he really wants us to experience freedom. God wants each and every one of us to experience true freedom. Freedom from our selfish desires. Freedom from the flesh. Freedom from getting our own way. See, how did it start in humanity? When when humanity went astray, Adam and Eve, how did they become enslaved? They're seeking their own desires. Seeking their own glory. Seeking their own wisdom. Seeking their own name to be great. From the very beginning and still today, it it always results. That kind of freedom is not freedom at all. That kind of freedom is enslavement. So God says, hey, I want you to be free. Here's how you can be free practically. Here's how I'm going to set you free. How I'm going to give you what you already are. I'm going to make you who you've already been called to be as you love and serve other people and put other people first. I love the way Tom Schreiner puts it when he's talking about how we disagree with each other. He says, if we shout and yell to win arguments, we are not secure in the gospel. We have to prove we are right. But if we live by grace, we can firmly state the truth and leave the results to God. That's true freedom. I don't have to be in control of what people think. I don't have to be in control whether people agree with me or don't agree with me. I don't have to be in control whether people see it my way. I can trust that God will help people. But I do. I do have to. I do have to be concerned about loving other people because that's the way I can put to death this enslaving desire of the flesh. Serving others helps us grow to be more like Him. Helps us truly be free. This is the kind of kingdom living that really makes you free. That sets you whole. We've all been in churches before, and maybe you are currently experiencing biting. That's not freeing. It's, that makes you more aware of yourself. It makes you more aware of your desires. He says, don't live like that. Live in freedom, really. You've been called to freedom, so here's what I want you to do. Because you've been called to freedom, now live in freedom by loving others and serving others. Let me challenge you, husbands. Ask yourselves, how can I use my freedom in Christ to serve my wife and help her be more like Jesus? Youth, ask yourself, how can I serve my siblings, my parents, my classmates, my friends to help them learn more about God, to be more like Jesus? Especially if you are not working this summer, if you are have freedom from school, don't use your freedom as an opportunity to gratify your own desires. Let me challenge you. Use your freedom as an opportunity to serve somebody else through love. Don't waste your summer on yourself. Don't just play all summer long and miss an opportunity to really grow in freedom from selfishness. Singles, how can you use your season of life to encourage and build each other up? How can you use the freedom that you have from marriage right now 
that Paul says when you're, when you're free in that regard, you're actually you're free to serve God and love God in ways that people who are married don't have the freedom to do. So how are you free to serve other people? What's God calling you to to not be selfish and just think about your own desires? This doesn't just apply to those groups. It applies to everybody in this room. What's God calling you to do? How is he calling you to live freely by serving? How does God want to free you up to serve? Maybe, maybe married people, having people who aren't married yet into your home and caring for them, serving them. How, how is God calling you to be free even more by saying, I'm uncomfortable having people in my home, so I'm going to do that because I want to be free from this self-centered, self-focused, worrying about what people think, and I'm going to do that by serving. How's God calling you to be free? Church, let's be cautioned as well about biting and devouring each other and gossip and slander and bad attitudes and judgmental speech towards each other. And if you've been there, I, I encourage you to repent. You've been set free. Now, don't live that way any longer. Don't live like you were still in jail. We're in the middle of this excellent series on conflict resolution. I encourage you uh, in your care groups to seek to use your freedom to apply that to your lives. Use time to grow in, in learning to serve each other and resolving conflict. Get into each other's lives. Ask each other hard questions. Encourage each other. Use speech that builds up, as Aaron was talking to us last week about it. Edify, encourage. Use speech that's encouraging and building up as well. That's how you can serve. That's how you can get outside of yourself. Use heart-oriented questions to, to love others and to serve others. If you see somebody else in conflict, come alongside them and serve them and help them. Don't ignore it and act like it doesn't exist. All of us, I want us all to ask, how can I love and serve somebody else in this body? How can I ensure we're built up together in love? And Lord, are there any areas where I'm biting? Help me not be biting in my language, in my care. Help me not be sarcastic in my speech. Help me not be mocking. It's fine to joke around once in a while, but that should not be the bulk of the way we communicate. That's not loving. It's not serving each other. All of us need to say, how can I not live for myself so I can be set free to live for him? Because he's set me free. Believers in Christ, we're free from the law. Here's the main idea. We're free from the law, but our freedom is truly expressed through love, serving others. That's what it means to be truly free. And that's how God's going to enable us to be even more free, is as we love and serve other people. So let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us even good and hard words. Lord, you even give us words of commandment. But Lord, not so that we're bound by the law, Lord, so that we're freed from ourselves and we're free to love you. And we're free to be who you've called us to be originally. We're free to be loving you without loving ourselves. God, I pray that you would use this word to free us from a self-focus, Lord. And I pray that you would use this word to help us no longer bite, but build each other up in love. I pray in your name.